You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Alan Hankins. He is a sought-after leadership speaker, consultant, trainer and coach. His recent book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders, launched as the number one best-selling new release in business communication on Amazon, which is really great. Over his 20-year career, Alain has led over 20, over 2,000 groups in 25 countries. Clients include Walmart, Pfizer, Citigroup, General Electric, State Farm Insurance, IBM, General Motors, and Microsoft. Alain has designed and facilitated seminars on numerous leadership topics, including team building, conflict management, communication, peak performance, innovation, engagement, and change. He also serves on the faculty of Duke Corporate Education and has published over 400 articles on leadership. Well, that's awesome. And welcome to the show, Alain. Andre, it's so exciting to be with you today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I am also looking forward. Um, do you want to add anything about yourself? Yeah, I mean, thank you for the bio. Yeah, I've obviously I've been in the leadership space for quite some time, over 20 years. And it's really been, I didn't, I wouldn't have called it that when I was a kid, but, I, but I've been definitely interested in people. And I think that if you want to be a great leader, you've got to be really interested in people because I don't care what industry you come from. I don't care what degree you have. If you are in the leadership business, you are in the people business. And so I've always been fascinated by what drives people and what can you do to help people to become better and to perform at their best, whatever that performance looks like. So that's been a common theme throughout my life and throughout my work. Oh, yes. And, and that is something really important that you have to get. You have to be interested in people to be, work, to be able to work with them. And it's something that when you're in a technical field, it's something you can not take into consideration because you're mostly used to work with uh, hard stuff, machines, code. So uh, when you get into a leadership position, it becomes a little more hard to also say, oh, okay, I'm not working with machines anymore. I tell them what to do and they do it. I have to work with people and I, you have to be genuine with people and you have to like them. Yeah, no, it's funny that you say that, Andre, because, you know, one of the things that I look at, I do a lot of research around the state of leadership around the world. And the most recent statistics I've seen is that only about 23% of people think that their leaders are good, are effective, right? That's a really low number, right? Only 23%. Yeah. And if I look at why is it that so many people are struggling? Because look, all the listeners here, no one is listening to this show thinking, I want to be a mediocre leader. No one wants, no one intends to do that. <laughs> no, Everyone, everybody wants to be their best. And yes. one, of the, one of the things that I've found is that so many leaders, if you stop and say, why do we lead the way that we do? Most people do it. I'll, I'll do it through a story. This kind of brings it to life. So oh, I've, got, awesome. I, I, I've got two kids who are now 16 and 13. My son is Alex. He's, 13, he's 16. My daughter is 13, Miranda. Well, one day about 10 years ago, the two of them were, as little kids do, getting very loud and goofy and really making a lot of noise yes. in, our li in our living room. And I have to confess, Andre, I got a little triggered at that moment. And I turned to them and I said, would you two stop behaving like children? Right? And I tell you this story for two reasons, Andre. 
n- number one, it's a stupid, ridiculous thing to say, right? Because they are children. I yes. call it, that's number one. Number two is, would you two stop behaving like children was the exact same phrase my mother used to use with my brother and me when we oh. were kids. So I, so I share this because without even realizing it, I had copied the behavior of the previous generation. So if you think about why do we lead the way that we do, we copy the previous generation and they copy their leaders and so on and so forth. So the real question becomes, who started it? Who started this chain of leadership behavior that is now so mediocre? And it turns out who started it was a man named Frederick Winslow Taylor, who is considered the father of the field of management. Now you have to realize though, this was in 1905 and 1910. This was the industrial age when 95% of the workforce was working in a factory on an assembly line. And he really saw, he was a mechanical engineer by training. So not quite a software engineer, but you know, that kind of same, he's a techie, right? He's a techie. And he sees the workplace as a technical problem to be solved. So very quickly, we move from human beings to human resources, right? So like people are just Ah. these interchangeable parts that can come and go out of the larger organizational machine. And in fact, one in his book, which is called Principles of Scientific Management, which was published in 1911, he described the ideal worker. And he wrote, and I'm quoting this because I could not make this up. He said, the ideal worker should be, quote, so stupid that he more nearly resembles in his mental makeup the ox than any other type. Yes, really. That's what he said. Yeah, you read that now, you think they treated people like pack horse animals. Yeah, like an ox. And one of his big disciples, of Taylor's disciples, was Henry Ford, who founded the Ford Motor Company. And Ford famously said of his employees at Ford, he said, why is it when I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Right. So, yeah, this is what they used to say. So the idea is back then in the industrial age, the employee value proposition was very clear is that leaders command and control and employees shut up and comply. And if you don't like it, there are five other people outside who will come in in this assembly line and, and, and do the work. So that is the legacy that we have all inherited as leaders. And unless we stop and question the fact that that only worked in that very specific time, I mean, if you look at the, the level of skill and knowledge and also creativity that is involved in technical fields, we can have people who are just going to be like ox, right? You need people, no, oh my you, God, you no. need people who have to think for themselves and come up with interesting solutions and figure these things out. So the first thing is to realize if you have inherited a command and control style, even if it's not that extreme, how is it getting in your way? And so I just wanted to share that because I think, you know, so many of us, if we come from a technical background, we're much more comfortable with things than we are with people. And so there's a few things and we can talk about it. There's a few things that we should start focusing on around people that are going to make us much better leaders. Yes. And now if you think about it, who would you want to design like the software that controls your car or even the, even the physical parts of your car? Do you want some, a thinking person or do you want somebody that is mindlessly doing his job there? Well, exactly. Because then what's going to happen when your car isn't working or it breaks down, like all these things that can start, you know, because we depend on technology so much just to be able to function in our life today. So it's a very important mm-hmm. point. It's, it's everywhere and, and more, even 
now it's becoming even on the assembling lines, people have to take decisions all the time and be, they have to be involved. So it's, it's no longer like 100 years ago when the products, maybe because they were so simple and they lacked complexity, you wouldn't want like people to also have a personality and think and bring their own ideas to to the workplace because you 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 might see them as a problem but nowadays you need thinking people to solve problems all the time yeah we live in this world where knowledge and creativity is so important i mean like you're saying you know back let's use the example of the ford motor company so the the most popular car, car that ford ever made was called the model t ford Right, as they call yes. the Model T, the Model T ran on their assembly line for 27 years without being changed. So no updates, right? It was the same thing for 27 yeah. years. I mean, we just don't live in a world of that kind of static constancy anymore. Everything is changing so much, and so we need to be able to harness people's creativity. And that's where this new—I call it new school leadership—comes in. This next generation of future leadership is what we need. Yes, and your idea that we are even unconsciously emulating past uh, behaviors from our parents, from past bosses, even the good ones and the bad ones, unfortunately. Do you think that's what is creating this turnover, always continuing the bad practices? That's a part of it. You know, it's interesting because there's a reason that people default to command and control because in the moment, if let's say I'm your boss, Andre, if I basically say this, shut up and do it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm being a little crass here, but if I say that in the moment, it's quicker, it's easier, it takes less work on my part. And if I feel that I've got some power over you, which by the way, if you're employed by the company and you're getting your paycheck and yes. your livelihood depends on it on a certain level, I do. The thing is, people will only work so much and give so much of their engagement and talent to comply. Right. So the fact is, in this day and age, you might get compliance for a little while, but I can guarantee you if I treat you that way, Andre, that on your lunch breaks and at night, you're going to be going on LinkedIn, you're going to be going on Glassdoor, you're going to be looking for another job. Because in this day and age, if you're going to give me a mediocre work experience, I'm going to go look elsewhere. And this is the difference between now and 50 years ago, because 50 years ago, we didn't have access to information the way we do today. So the average tenure of employees worldwide, age 25 to 34, is 2.8 years. That's it. So job hopping is the new normal. Fact is, people, you have to give people a compelling reason to stay. And that's why like the subtitle of my book is The Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And those three secrets are, First is connection, because leadership starts with a building on a relationship, human-to-human relationship. That's what you need. Second, it's about communication. Specifically, that instead of telling people what you need to do, you need to actually start by asking them what they think and drawing out the wisdom that they have inside first. And then the third C, secret, is collaboration. So how can we work together to co-create a solution as opposed to me telling you what it is? Because no longer, if it ever was true, is the leader the smartest person in the room. The leader has got to stop thinking of themselves as the chief and now think of themselves as the chief facilitator. That is helping 
other people to make their lives easier. I love the word facilitate because it comes from the same word in French as facile, which means easy. easy. Right? So the goal of leaders is to make life easy for everyone around them. So that's where it comes from, this basis of connection, communication, and collaboration. And that's great. And Alan, would you have like a leadership success story that besides having other uh, rich lessons inside of it also embodies these three elements? Sure. I'll give you a, a great example that I've written about and talked about. So I want to tell you about a guy named Matt. He's a district okay. manager. And he works in a very traditional industry. He's a district manager for a national fast food franchise in the United States. Okay, so fast food, you know, any of the big, you can think of a chain that sells fast food, they're all over the world. So when I met Matt, the company had 100 district managers, right? And each manager yes. oversaw somewhere between eight and 10 restaurants. And Matt was ranked the number one top performing district manager out of all 100. So I asked Matt, I said, oh. Matt, I said, have you always been such a top performer? And he'd been with the company for quite some time. He said, no, no. When I started, I was like 84th out of 100. I was not very good. And I was down towards the bottom for a number of years. So I asked him, what changed? Yeah. And he said, it started with my mindset. He said, when I started, I thought my job was to be the fixer, right? So that was his paradigm. I'm the fixer. He said, every day we would get a printout, a report of key metrics, and they call it the daily hot list. So he said, the first thing I do every day was look at the hot list and see what was in red, right? That's not measuring up. Yes. And then he said, I put on my firefighting hat, right? And then I go rushing from store to store and I tell people, this is wrong. You need to fix this. And I go to other stores, this is wrong. You need I was telling people and telling, fix this, do this, do this, do this. And he said, I did that for years and I struggled. He said, after hitting my head against the wall for so long, I realized people don't want a fixer. They want a leader. So he said, I changed my approach. He says, now when I go into the store, the first thing I do is I ask people about their lives outside of work. And we talk for a bit first about their lives. Nice. Then I take out the hot list, but I don't tell them what to do. I actually just share the data. And I say, here's today's information. What do you think we should do? And then together, they work together to create solutions. And so what Matt said, he said, what was amazing is what I realized in the shift was the key to making the numbers, right? The key to delivering results was to stop focusing on the numbers and instead to start focusing on the people because it's the people that deliver the numbers. Yes. And then the, and the other thing he said, he said, and this is the coolest part. He said, so back when I was number 84 out of a hundred, instead of number one, my life was so much more stressful and I worked so much harder than I do now <laughs> that not only are we getting great results, we're having so much more fun. So this idea is that when you lead and unlock the potential in other people, it actually makes your life a whole lot easier. And so what Matt modeled for me in some ways, are those three secrets of best leaders, right? Connection, he reached out to people and asked them about their lives. Communication, he led by listening and seeking to understand. And collaboration, right? He looked to them to co-create solutions. So that's a good example of bringing that all to life. And that's such an amazing example because I can relate to it. I, yeah. I've been a firefighter in my life and it was excruciating. I didn't love going to the job. It, 
you get the satisfaction of making stuff happen sometimes or depending on how how pushy you are most of the time but you do not enjoy it the team does not enjoy it it's not good for for anybody involved no you're right and you know it's interesting you said you're a firefighter and i think what a lot of i'll call them for better lack of a better word mediocre leaders i think a lot of mediocre leaders actually get addicted to the adrenaline of the firefighter not just the adrenaline of like i'm so busy but there's also a part of our ego that thinks oh my gosh, I am so important because if I wasn't going around fixing everything all the time, this whole place would fall apart without me. When in fact, if you trained everyone else, what if everyone else did such a good job that actually you could sit around and eat bonbons all day instead? And that more, I mean, it's amazing because ideally you should be such a good leader that you make yourself useless, right? That people actually don't need you. In fact, there's a wonderful quote that comes from Lao Tzu, right? Who's a famous philosopher from the fourth century BC. And he said, the best leaders people revere. No, no, he, no, he didn't say that. Sorry, let me go back. Let me say that again. He says, okay, the, I'll say it again. So he said, the good leaders people admire, the worst leaders people despise, but the best leaders are those where the people go, we did it ourselves. Right, so that's what empowerment is about. Uh, As a leader, what can you do to empower the people around you so they don't feel like they're depending on you to be brilliant? They want to be brilliant because they can be brilliant. So that's about unlocking their potential, and it starts with connection, communication, and collaboration. And it's it's a little mind-boggling if you think because um, the piece of knowledge that you just shared from uh, from China, ancient China it encapsulates how a leader should be. And still today, we're still struggling with the concept itself. Oh, I know. It's amazing that these principles have been around for thousands of years. And like you said, they're not being applied. I like to say that all of what I talk about, you know, if you look at connection, communication, collaboration, people go, that's common sense. And I go, it is. You're absolutely right. It is common sense. However, common sense is not the same as common practice. I mean, another example, how many... How many people know that if you want to live a healthier lifestyle, you should eat fresh fruits and vegetables, you should eat not too much, and you should exercise? Like, I think that's pretty out there at this point. I think everyone in the world knows yes. common sense. Common knowledge. Right? But again, if you look at just how many people actually apply what they know. So it goes back to understanding. And to me, what's important is to recognize what are the traps as a leader that you're going to fall into. So one of the traps is your own ego to think that you're so important that this, that's, an e- that's a trap. And most of us are pretty not self-aware of how we show up. And so in the book and in my work, I really try to shine a light on these shadow behaviors. So for example, one of the things I write about around connection is the importance of empathy in the workplace. That if you want to build a connection with somebody else, the best way to do that is to show people that you understand them and that you care how they feel, which is empathy. That's the definition of empathy. Now, as you hear that, you think, show people you understand them, care how they feel. Got it. So simple. It's common (laughs) sense. Right? Again, it sounds sounds simple. And yet, and again, I saw this 2019 survey. So 92% of CEOs say, yes, our organizations are empathetic. And they asked the same organization's employees, and the employee said only about 50% of our CEOs are actually empathetic. So 
there's this disconnect, right? So, yes. so for you tech leaders listening to this, you can ask yourself is, okay, I get that empathy is important, yet why is it so hard? And for me, there's at least two big reasons, if not more. The first one is impatience. I mean, the fact is we live in this digital age, right? So information travels at the speed of light. However, empathy, showing people that you understand them and care how they feel, isn't just some item to check off your to-do list. No. Right? As actually human relationships don't travel at the speed of light. They take more time. So showing empathy means showing patience. And you know as well as I do, Andre, that today patience is in such short supply because everyone says the same thing every day. How's your day? I'm so busy. I'm crazy busy. I'm so busy. Everyone says yes. it every day. You know, everyone's got a lot on their plate. Everyone has results that they have to deliver. Now, I understand that. In fact, a lot of organizations I work with, driving for results is actually codified, written as a core leadership competency. And I get that, right? We have to deliver results. However, driving for results shouldn't come at the expense of driving over the people who are trying to help you deliver those results. So part of this all has to do with embracing the paradox of leadership wisdom. So sometimes as a leader, you have to go fast. And sometimes you need to go slow. And you need to have the wisdom to know the difference. So when do you do which one? So that's an example of impatience is a huge barrier to empathy. Another big barrier to empathy is fear. The fact is, a lot of leaders are very uncomfortable with emotions in the workplace. I was working with a guy named Bob. He's a managing director at a consulting firm. And I love him because he was so honest what he said. He said, I don't, he had a team of 20. He said, I don't ask my people how they feel. I said, really? Why not? He said, if I ask them how they feel, you know what's going to happen? They'll tell me. And I don't want to know. Like, <laughs> like, I don't have time for all. Again, going back to I don't have time. I don't want yes. to know all that stuff. See, for leaders like Bob, and again, Bob is probably my age and I'm 51. Bob came up in the days when, and this was a very common thing you would hear. I don't know if you hear it exactly in the same way, where he had this, what I call a check your feelings at the door policy, right? So no, this is work. We don't do feelings here. You got to check your feelings at the door, which is a strange thing, Andre, because if you stop and think about it, it's physically impossible to go to work and check your feelings at the door. Now, There's what no you can do, and, no, what you can do, and what many people do, is they suppress their feelings at the door, which is yes. actually very much what's happening. Many of us have had the experience, and in fact, Deloitte did a study and found 61% of employees put on a mask. They cover their identities in some way because they do not feel safe being themselves, bringing their whole selves to work. And let's face it, if you're wearing a mask right now with coronavirus, we're all literally wearing masks, but even just the metaphoric mask, it creates a barrier, right? It's, and it can't but help be disconnected. And when you are disconnected, that creates a low trust, low connection, low performance culture. So it's so important for anyone who wants to be a better leader to recognize what are the shadows that are going to get in the way, whether it's I'm afraid, you know, take a, take a self-assessment. I actually, I'm not comfortable around other people's emotions at work. Or, you know what, I'm busy and I don't have the patience. Just to notice that. Because until you notice it, you can't change it. Right? We cannot change what we don't notice. And I think the first step of becoming a better leader is self-awareness. And if you don't know it for yourself, ask the people around you how they think you're doing. 
and not just the people that you know are gonna tell you that you're wonderful, but the people who will give you the honest truth and say, not just how am I doing or what are some things I'm doing well and what are some things that I could be doing even better so I could be a better leader for you. Because until you create the safety where people can share that, they'll just keep pretending like you're okay, but really think you're not. And I think that's what's happening to the 77% of leaders that are not considered effective. Because let's face it, when people fill out surveys, they're anonymous. They know that if I share yes. the truth, it's not a career limiting move. Whereas if I told my boss what I really thought of them, forget about it. So we don't say it and we just pretend like everything's okay. So it's up to the leader to seek out the truth and the honest feedback about how they're really doing. Yeah, and take off the mask so everybody can be themselves. And this this reminds me like I um, had a colleague at work. He he did his job. He wasn't uh, outspoken. He didn't really engage with anybody at the office that much. Pretty, you wouldn't say that he would be like an outgoing person. I found out that he was also a gamer and he used to stream his games. And all, while streaming his games, he was so outgoing, such a person that you would enjoy like having also at work because it, it brought like flair and excitement to the workplace and the discussions and what he was saying. And I said like, why couldn't he also be like that at work? Because it would make the lives of everybody in the office better. Yeah, but yeah. So it's it's stuff like this, and you're absolutely right, Alan. If you go and talk with people, get to know them, you find out all kinds of small tidbits like this one that I found out and I was amazed when I watched his live stream. And, and then you get to connect with people and it takes your um, work relationships to the next level. Yeah. And since we discussed like uh, shortcomings of leaders, I'm really curious, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? What's the biggest leadership fear? Failure. Oh, a failure, I think. I think the biggest leadership failure that I'm seeing showing up consistently is that too many leaders think that it's about them, right? They put themselves in the center of the circle. When leadership is not about you, leadership is about the people that you lead right because ultimately there's no leadership without the relationship right it's a relationship between the person who leads and the person who chooses to follow and every day that follower makes a choice do i choose to engage fully or do i just to choose to engage minimum amount right just enough to keep my paycheck and my job right so what we have to do is we have to get ourselves out of the middle and thinking it's my job to, again, going back to Frederick Winslow Taylor, <laughs> yes. right? We have to stop thinking of ourselves as the commander in chief and think of ourselves as the facilitator in chief. So that's the biggest failure. And that if you adopt a facilitator in chief mindset, you're walking around all day and it's exhausting. It's a lot of work to listen, but it's, it's, and it's a very different skill set than most of us have seen our leaders doing. But it's going around and saying, Andre, how are you? How are things going? How can I help? What can I do to make things better, better, easier for you today? And for us to start to act from that place of service, because if I can help build capacity into you, you're going to be that much better and your results are going to get better. And if your results get better, guess what? As the leader of the team, my results get better. So it's a win-win. Like, so it's, that's the mistake. The mistake is thinking that, 
we're focusing on ourselves when we should be focusing on those around us and how can I build into them and help them on a regular basis. And do, would you have like an example or a story of a person that has such a big ego that he yeah. got really in the way? Yeah. So I'll tell you, this is an interesting one around this one. So I was working, I have a couple of them. I'll think of, here's one. So I was working with a company that had a conference in Atlanta and they had in, this is a global company. It's a fortune 100 company. Won't name what it is. I won't even tell you what industry. Okay. I won't even tell you the industry. It's I, okay. I, I, it's okay. I, no, it's I know, but so, so anyway, so it's a big. So I'm working with the Fortune 100 company, and they invite their top 2,000 people. They have over 150,000 employees around the world, okay. and every year they invite 2,000 to their annual meeting, where they basically do a big state of the union. Right? They kind of do a, like looking back on the year before. They look at what's going on and look at the year ahead. Well, these are not, I mean, this is most big companies have conferences like this. This is not that unusual. And you'd think that usually if a leader was going to come out and kick off a conference, the first thing they would do is say something like, welcome to Atlanta. Thank you for traveling around the world. We're so excited. Yes. That you're, it's a pretty typical thing to say, right? It's, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure this one out, right? So that's the typical thing. You want to make people feel welcome. You want to acknowledge them, appreciate them, and then give them a big picture of what we're going to cover over the next few days. Okay, so that's what you'd think would happen. Well, at this conference, yes. this conference, CEO comes out, okay? Like, doesn't even say hello. He says, okay, we're going to look at last year's financials. And then he puts up a slide and he starts reading through financials. And he's like, okay, so this is where we are. And now here we are. And he's like looking at this last column. This says ROIC. That's return on invested capital. He said, wait a minute. He goes, wait, and he's talking to himself like, wait a minute, why am I saying that? Like, if any of you don't know what ROIC is at this point, you shouldn't even be in this room. And he's just going and, and like, you can see, <laughs> you can see the people in the room just crossing their arms and getting defensive. And like, they were all excited to That's be there. Awful, and, and within two minutes, it was like they had poked a balloon and all the air in that room just came all because of that leader, because he was making it about you're just here to do my job. You know, you're just here to do this for me as opposed to like, again, treating people like people. He was just treating them like things. And this goes back to that primary mistake. So it's, it's a good example of how that can go so poorly. And people say, wait a minute, but this is a Fortune 100 company. Like he must've been doing something well. And I like to think that yes, the company was succeeding to a certain point, but it wasn't because of the leader. It was in spite of the fact that his leadership was right. right. In spite of the fact that that was going on. And um, how do people like this get you know, become, to become CEOs of a company so oh, big? This is the question that scratches. I think, frankly, yes. I think a lot of it has to do with um, systemic, we'll call it nepotism, right? That sense that you, he was part of the club that decided they were going to promote whoever they thought. And a lot of that, you know, and it's great, you know, like right now in the United States, we're looking at this from the point of view of systemic racism, of just looking at how certain people are being shut out for jobs. You know, we love to believe that talent speaks for itself and that we live in a meritocracy where if you do good work, you'll get seen and promoted. But that's not the way these things have worked for a long time, that it becomes this club. And I think these CEOs, they're part of the club and they kind of know who's, pardon my French, ass to kiss, right? <laughs> At a certain time to get positioned for this. And then there's all this kind of internal politicking and jockeying and figuring that out. Because yeah, you look at that and you scratch your head and thinking, 
why would someone like that be in a role that impacts so many? But it's strange, you know, it's a strange thing. And so that's why I keep coming back to these principles. And no, and you may be like listening right now, you may be working in an organization and the CEO may be not modeling any of this stuff. And what are you doing with your immediate team? Because you have a choice, right? You can say, well, this doesn't happen around here, so I'm not going to do it. Or you can say, I want to be the leader that I wish I had. And that's the kind, because that's what people want, right? It's like, if you can just be the best leader you can be by starting to apply some of these simple skills. So for example, with connection, do you approach people and really listen with purpose? Do you seek to be curious and ask questions, open-ended questions to really understand where people are coming from. So, excuse me for a second. No problem. And um, Alan, yeah. I also also think because I was surprised when I had like a position where I could help people grow in their careers and promote them to become leaders, um, teams and everything. I approached people that I saw potential. They were really good. They had like really good soft skills. And I said, hey, would you want to be promoted? Not today, but as an idea. So you get prepared. Uh, we can work together. And they were really reluctant to pick up the leadership mantle because they had like goals that extended like five or 10 years. They would see themselves as, as leaders and said, like, I think you could do it like in one year. Uh, and I would help you and the company would help you. So, but still, there's like a, a sort of reluctance from really good people to become leaders and pick up that mantle. I don't know why. It's well, just I think part of why people are reluctant is because when you pick up the mantle of leadership, you are now putting yourself out there in a very public way. You know, I had a leader who he gave me this wonderful present, a literal present years ago. It's actually, if you watched my TED Talk, it's in the TED Talk. I share it. Um, it's a T-shirt. And the front of the shirt says leader. And the back of the shirt is an archery target, right? And he told me that as a leader, you're always a target. And the fact is, I think people are reluctant to step into leadership because they know the target is now on your back. Like if you're a great leader, You'll be the target of people's hopes, their admiration, their applause. They think you're wonderful. However, if you're not a very good leader, you're going to get blamed. You're going to get criticized. You're going to be thought of terribly. And I think a lot of people don't want to be in the hot seat because when you are the leader, you are now in that hot seat for better or worse. And I always say, like, you know, as leaders, we have to learn how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because you have to take a stand by your very visibility. You know, what are you doing? What are you saying? And how are you doing that? People are going to think something of you one way or the other. Whereas when you don't step into that, you can be a bystander, right? You can stand on the side and you can criticize. But as another mentor of mine said, no one has ever built a statue to a critic, right? If you, right? We, build, <laughs> we, we build statues to heroes and leaders. Yes. But we, don't, we don't build statues to, oh, they criticize somebody else. No one never got a statue built for that. So part of it is, is you've got to take the risk to get the reward. You know, um, Simon Sinek talks wonderfully about leadership in this way. He talks about how why back in long time ago when we were all living in hunter-gatherer tribes, the reason that we would give the leader of the tribe first choice of meat and first choice of mate was that if there was a saber-toothed tiger or something else, they would be the ones risking their lives for the good of everybody else. So if you think about this idea of sacrifice, is that 
you have to be willing to get up there and stand for something, knowing that you will take some hits. Now, hopefully not literally, but sometimes you will be hit as a leader. People will want to tear you down. People will disagree with you. And so a lot of people just would rather not play the game because they're too afraid of losing. Yeah. And in there lies the irony because the people that care about other people and what they, they're thinking and want to empower them don't want to become leaders because they're going to get judged a little and they don't want to get judged. And the people that don't care about what other people think and have, that's how they like to live their lives and it's their own personal choice, they get promoted to leaders, but then everybody complains about them, but they don't care that everybody complains about sure. them. Exactly. And it's interesting around that. It's funny. I'm sure you have probably had this conversation. I think it's probably true in every country around the world. You know, we oftentimes look at our political leaders, right? Which is always a mixed bag. Yes. And, and sometimes you look at who ends up becoming, you know, whether it's the president or the senator or whatever that might be. And sometimes you think there are a lot of really talented people in the world, but many of them, like I would never run for office. I would never get into politics because again, they know they're going to get chewed on. They're going to get chewed up. And they don't want to go there. So like what you're saying is sometimes I think, you know, we end up with the politicians that we deserve because a lot of good people don't want to enter into that arena, right? Because it's, it's just, I don't want to subject myself to that. Yes. And I think it's the same. It's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame because there's a lot of really caring, thoughtful people and realizing, yeah, it's just part of it. It's just a part of the process is stepping in. And so that's part of what you can do is step in. And Alan, based on your decades of experience, what is your leadership philosophy? My leadership philosophy is that leadership is a performing art. And what I mean by that, a few few things, okay? What I mean by that is performing boils down to something that you say or you do. Right. And so that's our behavior. And ultimately, it's what we do that, you know, you can say one thing, but ultimately it comes down to your behavior. And I say it's a performance because as we were just talking about stepping into the arena, you take on a role. You know, when I step into leading a team of 200 people for a leadership training, I am definitely stepping into a role. It's a character and it's a performing art. And I think part of why I say it's an art because there's not a one size fits all approach to leadership and that in every situation, in every different relationship, you need to adjust your style to meet the needs of what we'll call your audience. Like I said, you know, there's a relationship between you as a leader and your audience. And so understanding how do you engage, educate, inform, inspire, and ultimately motivate people to take action. That's what we're trying to do. And I think there's so much that we can learn from performing artists because if you pay money to go see a great movie or a play or an opera or a concert, what you're really paying for is from the moment the curtain goes up until the moment at the end when the lights go back up and you're done, you're paying to be completely engaged in the whole process. And isn't that what we all want from work? We would love that every single day that, you know, I think about back to your friend who's this great video gamer live, like who streams, right? My son is a gamer, so I know yes. a little bit about this world. <laughs> but the sense that my son can spend hours and hours and hours because these game designers have figured out a way to capture his attention so fully that he's like forgets that he's even hungry. 
Right? He forgets about everything because he's so involved. And I think, wouldn't it be amazing if we could be such engaging leaders that the people we worked with were so involved that the days flew by, that what they were doing felt so important and that they were part of some great mission or purpose that they were so proud that they were working where they were working. So to me, leadership starts with a sense of a performing art and that the performance is ultimately with the goal of unleashing the potential in the people around us. And that's such a great metaphor because one, it comes with criticism. <laughs> you all, any art has critics yeah. <laughs> that, that don't do anything but judge. Yes. So you have to accept it. And also you always, as an artist, you have to adjust your talent and what you're doing to the, to the ever-evolving taste of the public. So you don't stay flat. You always have to improve and grow. If not, you go out of the as a, an artist. Your career is over. So I, I love the parallel between the two of them because it's it's so rich. Thank you for that. You're <laughs> Thank welcome. you so much. You're most welcome. And uh, for aspiring leaders, what would be your top three leadership tips? Top three leadership tips. Okay. Well, we've touched on one of them already, which I'll come back to, which is seek feedback from other people, right? Um, yes. Seek feedback from other people. Such a big thing. That's number one. Number two, all leadership development is personal development. So I would start finding ways to develop yourself personally. And in the words of one of my favorite authors, Jim Rohn, I'm going to slightly paraphrase him, is you should be focusing more on yourself than you do on your job. And what I mean by that is continue to build into yourself. And whether that's reading or listening to podcasts, but today, you know, there's so much great content out there that's available. If you have an internet connection, you have a world of knowledge. And oh, there's yes. you know, so much of it. What it means, though, is that you have to say no to some other things. Like, I'll just be honest. I have not watched a television show in 25 years. And my friends, they talk about this. 25 years. Yeah, I just, I don't Amazing. have time. I don't have time in my life for television, right? Now, you asked me how many leadership books I read last year, I'll, you know, or, or books in general. Like, I read. How many? I, well, I read an average of probably three books a month. So, so it's like, I know people who read a book a week, I mean, 50 or, or more. So I don't, I'm not a huge reader, but I'm, I'm reading because there's so much for me to learn. I feel like the more that I know, the more I need to learn. And I guess that would be my third tip, which is connected to the second one, which is keep learning. Just keep on learning and being curious because what we know is that whatever you're doing around coding and technical stuff today, you're not going to be doing that same exact stuff in five years because the world is going to change. However, learning and becoming more, you know, agile and whether that's on the soft side, you know, whether it's the leadership skills or it's learning new technical skills, right? The fact is, as long as you have that growth, flexible mindset, there's no challenges that are too big because you can figure out new strategies and creative ways to find them. So keep learning as well. So those would be my three tips around that. Yes, and what you invest in yourself, you get to use for the rest of your life. And the faster you invest, the more you get to use it. It's a exactly. better investment. It is. It's the yeah. investment that keeps paying dividends for sure. Yes. And Alan, since you read so much, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's a great question. Um, a book that has, you know, I, I keep coming back to it. And I think it's, I forget if it's 20 or 30 years. It's been around for a long time. It's such a classic. 
It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So if people have not read that book by Stephen Covey, it is a classic in the field of both personal and leadership development because I think the principles are so profound and so much of my writing and my work pays a debt to the principles. Now, again, he didn't invent those principles, but he codified them in such a tangible way. It's a wonderful book. So I'd recommend The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And of the seven habits, what is your preferred one? The one oh, that you gosh, have? Oh, gosh, they're all, they're, they're, they're all so important. They're all so important. However, I'd say the one that I find myself that I keep that really is in some ways a thread between connection, communication, and collaboration. I think it's habit number, it might be five, which is seek first to understand and then to be understood just the importance of giving other people the floor and the space and giving them the psychological air. So you listen to them first and understand their perspective first before you try to convince them of anything of your own. And I just find that is such a powerful and underused skill. And then how can you convince anybody or have a meaningful conversation with somebody if you don't understand them because you don't know how to relate to them and speak with them? Exactly, exactly. That's why it's such a master skill. It is such an important thing to do. Yes. And Alan, if people want uh, to find out more about you, where should they go? Great. Sure. So the easiest place to go is the book has its own website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. That will take you right to the book page. You can learn all about the book. And while you're there, you can download the first chapter of the book for awesome. free and get a preview of the book. And that will connect you right to my alainhunkins.com website. So you can learn about the other work that I do, which is all involving helping individuals, teams, and organizations become better leaders. And I do that sometimes through coaching. It could be one-on-one or group sometimes through training, sometimes through speaking, and sometimes through consulting. But the big umbrella is all about helping people become better leaders. And I highly recommend to the people listening to this, go and get Alan's book. Just get his first chapter. I'm sure that you're going to like it so much that you're going to buy the whole book. I've learned a lot while talking with Alan. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Andre, it's really been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye. Bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.